Expressing anger through silence is an all too common communication conflict in too many relationships. The silent partner pretends the other person does not exist by ignoring them. Silent treatment is what we call it. And it sounds horrible enough, but if you place that term silent treatment within James's framework in James, James chapter 4, verses 1, 2, and 3, his framework for anger, well, what we're talking about is murder. You see, anger has many manifestations, and you can place all of those manifestations in in one big bucket and then put the label over the bucket and call it murder. Now, I recognize that consequentially, silent treatment is not as bad as physical murder, but silent treatment is a heinous sin nonetheless. Therefore, in this podcast, I want to talk about silent treatment. Hello, everyone. This is Rick Thomas. You're listening to the Life Over Coffee podcast. The title of the article that I'm sharing with you is Silent Treatment is the Sanitized Version of Murder. And so you can listen to the podcast as you're doing now. You can also read a full transcript of this article, and uh, you can jump on our YouTube channel or Inside this article, I have a video of it, so you can read, you can watch, and you can listen. Of course, I want you to share this content with 1,000 of your closest friends because anger is a universal struggle for all of us. We do it. Some of us have a habituation of it, while others, it's just episodic. But nevertheless, this is a ubiquitous universal struggle, and And so I hope that this podcast, the article, the video, uh, it will be beneficial uh, to you. Now, as always, if you have any questions for our team, if it's about anger or maybe something else that's on your mind, if your question is important to you, it is important to us and we want to serve you. We have one place in all the world where we interact with people and that is on our website. Now, the reason we do that is because we're not omnipresent. We have more than 20 social media platforms, and so there are questions that can be all over the place, and because we're not omnipresent, we can't be everywhere all the time. I don't want you to fall through the cracks, and so if your question is important, then I want you to come to our free community forums and you can ask whatever question is on your mind. And that will help us and it'll also keep you from falling between the cracks. Our free community forums are brought to you by those who underwrite our ministry financially. Thank God. And I want you to praise God for these individuals as well. They believe in what we're doing. They benefit from it personally, but they also want us to continue to share the practical message of Christ globally. And so that encompasses you too. And so you have this valuable resource to where you can ask any question that you wish. And if we can help you with anger or something 
nothing else, just come to our website, jump on the free community forums. Now, if you are a supporting member, you are financially underwriting us, you're one of those, well, then you can get on our private forum. That is specially for you. It's just one way we can honor you to say thank you for supporting us financially. But either way, supporting member, free member, Please come to us and let us serve you, and it would be wonderful. What you will have to do is get your free username and your password, and that way you can get on our forums, and so let us do that. All right, I have uh, quite a few questions. This podcast slash video is going to be a little bit different because I want to ask you some analytical questions throughout this podcast video. And all of these questions are in the article. And so you can go to the article, Silent Treatment is the Sanitized Version of Murder. You can just type in Sanitized Version in the search box of our website, and this article will pop up where you can get the podcast and the video, but also the questions that I'm going to ask you. And by the way, there is a print feature at the bottom of all of our articles, and so you can print them off into a PDF. Our articles are free, and so I do want you to uh, be able to benefit from all the angles, all the iterations of our resources. All right, let me get into it. Now, we know that physical murder is, is severe and dramatic, and it is permanent as the perpetrator seeks to erase someone from this world. Physical murder is far worse from a consequential perspective. But we know that anger is on a spectrum with one label for all of its forms, and we're using James's label here. And, and James says you desire and you do not have, so you murder. And so as I, as I said earlier, you can take all of the manifestations of anger, you can place them in one bucket or basket, and then put on the outside of it the label murder. And so, but again, consequentially, of course they are different. Uh, many of you know my testimony that I've had two brothers who were murdered 10 years apart. And so I understand what physical murder is up close and very personal. And from a a consequential perspective, uh, it is not just more heinous, but is more difficult to work through. But where the two forms of anger, physical murder and silent treatment, where they intersect is the commentary that they make on its victim. Let me illustrate. Physical murder says, I do not like you. Therefore, I'm going to make sure you do not exist anymore. I'm going to kill you. That's physical murder, and we understand that. But physical murder and silent treatment do intersect. This is what silent treatment says. I do not like you, but I am a civilized human, and so I am not going to kill you. I'm just going to pretend that you do not exist by ignoring you from for an indefinite and undetermined period. You see, the silent treatment is a sanitized version of anger, and that's where I get the title of this article, podcast 
and video. If a person does not have clear biblical categories for their sin patterns, they can dull their conscience down to the point of being okay with their behavior. The silent treatment permits them to accomplish a pragmatic result. The virtual erasure of another human being while dulling their conscience to make the murderous, and I put that in air quotes, the murderous behavior acceptable. And so we want to have clear biblical categories so that we don't rationalize our sin away to make it okay because consequentially it's not as bad as physical murder. Of course, the silent treatment is not, it's not about an inability to communicate. But it is a deliberate choice to not speak to someone. A lady came to counseling many years ago, and she said, my husband doesn't talk. And I asked her, I said, well, is your husband mute? I mean, does he not talk universally? Of, of course, his, her husband does talk. It's just that he does not talk to her. And so the silent treatment is not an inability to communicate, but it's a deliberate choice not to speak to speak to someone. Of course, we want to be careful before judging the silent partner too harshly. Let me give you an angle to that. Sometimes the person may not say anything because they feel inadequate when the communication becomes competitive. Competitive communication, some spouses believe in that, or they may not say they believe in it, but by their practice, they are competitive communicators and they can overpower the other person. And so the other person chooses silence because they can't compete with uh, the jouster. They do not sense that they can speak in such a way to make a situation better. So they clam up. That's why I say we want to be careful as we try to understand what's going on with a silent partner. Uh, their partner is such an accomplished jouster that they that this person, the silent person, picks the path of least resistance. Motivation for silence might not be as clear-cut as you think. And so you do want to examine each situation with competence, intelligence, with courage, and also with compassion. Before uncharitably judging the silent person, you want to collect all of the available data. Rarely in conflict is one person entirely innocent and the other is fully guilty. And so you want to make sure that you have examined the situation because it, it, it might not be what you think it is. And so while thinking through these things, silent treatment, one of our mastermind students actually came up with a list of questions, and that's what I want to use in this video podcast to share with you. It's questions for the person who resorts to silent treatment. And our student put the questions in three categories, and so I have broken them down into those same three categories, motive, Trinity, as in Father, Son, and Spirit, and community. So there's three grouping of questions in those three categories, motive, trinity, and community. Now, these questions would be great for any interpersonal squabble, assuming that both participants are mature enough to engage with humility. 
Now, I, I recognize that when there's such things as silent treatment, there's that kind of communication problem in a relationship that humility might not be present for both individuals. But if both partners are seeking to walk in humility, then these questions that I am laying out for you would be excellent to examine. And you can even take this article here as a long-term homework assignment, and you would truly benefit. Now, perhaps working through these three question sets in the context of a small group would prove to be transformative for the relationships in that group. And then if your partner is not walking in humility and you can't ask these questions with your partner, then maybe finding a third party, a person who does have the courage and the competence and the compassion to come alongside you. They need the courage so that they are not rubber stamping you, that they will speak the truth in love, but you also want courage to be balanced with compassion so that they're not being harsh to you, then, of course, competence speaks to it for itself. You want them to have the biblical intelligence to be able to uh, speak insightfully and instructive into what's going on into in the dynamic of your relationship. And so whatever context that you can put together to work through these questions, I, I highly recommend it. So let, let's start, and again, their motive, trinity, trinity, and community, and I will start with the motive question set first. Now, I am not suggesting that all silence is wrong. I've already spoken to that when you have the com- competitive communicating jouster on the other end of the relationship. I mean, James did say that being slow to speak is a, a good thing, and there are times when biting your tongue is the best path forward for the short term. However, never saying anything forever is not God's plan for your relationship. God is a speaking God, and his image bearers, you and me, we want to emulate that attribute by being communicators. And so I want to examine, and I'll do this for myself. I've already worked through these questions, and I will continue to do so. But I want to examine our motivation for silence. And so here are six questions for you. Number one, what are you trying to achieve or accomplish or prove with the silent treatment? Now, I'm not saying, I'm not asking this question from a cynical or suspicious perspective. I'm not at all. I'm just asking a straightforward, objective question. If you are a silent partner, what are you trying to achieve, accomplish, or prove? by the silent treatment. Now, maybe it is a good thing, and you're doing what James is saying, that you want to be slow to speak, especially uh, in the context of whatever the relationship is. Number two, what are you trying to protect? What are you trying to protect yourself from by choosing silence? Is this a defensive tactic? Again, this could be the nature of the relationship. Number three, 
What are you trying to control when you use the silent treatment? Now, typically, this is not a good thing. You're trying to manipulate someone. You're trying to control them because you're not getting what you want. This is what James was saying in, in chapter 4. You desire and you do not have, and so you murder, or in this case, as you tease out murder or pull out the manifestation from that big bucket, you, you desire and you do not have, and so you use or implement the silent treatment. What are you trying to control when you use the silent treatment. Number four, what are you afraid of by not engaging the person in the conversation? Number five, what is it that makes you angry? What is it that makes you so angry that you implement the silent treatment? And I would encourage you, if you haven't already, that you do bookmark, at least in your mind, James chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. That collection, that paragraph, is an excellent treatment on anger, and all of us as believers need to have that, if not memorized, certainly be familiar with it from a practical, applicable perspective. And then finally, number six, what is wise about your silence? And then there's a follow-up question, what is unwise? And so there's a redemptive and non-redemptive aspect to those two questions. What is wise? What is unwise about your silence? Now, these six questions address motive. That's what I'm after here. What is the motivation? Because as Jesus said in 645 of Luke, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so we want to address the genesis of our words. And then as we address the, the cause for the words, the motivation for the words, then hopefully our words will be more redemptive. All right, the second question set is about the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. You see, emulating the Trinity is one of our highest privileges Hence, as you examine your motivations, you want to make sure you're aligning your heart and practice with who you want to represent by your speech patterns. Perhaps there can be temporary justification for silence, as I've talked about, but carefully address, we must all carefully address the log that may have lodged in our eye sockets, and so Thinking about Trinity, I want to ask four questions. How does God treat you when you sin? For example, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Romans 5.8, while you were a sinner, Christ died for you. And so this question points to any punitive motive for withholding your words from someone? How does God treat you when you sin? Number two, how does your silent treatment affect your relationship with God? We can quench the Spirit. We can grieve the Spirit. We see this in First Thessalonians and Ephesians, quenching and grieving the Spirit. Think through your quietness as it impacts your spiritual effectiveness. You remember what I said earlier about we can rationalize our silent treatment to the point that we dull our conscience or harden our conscience to where it's, it's not signaling us any longer. Our conscience is our internal moral thermostat. It's our inner voice. It is a good thing that God has given us, and the silent treatment can affect our relationship with God to where the Spirit of God has not illuminated our minds because we have dulled ourselves to such a point 
point that our conscience, we have rationalized our motives for doing this, that we can no longer hear the signal that we're doing wrong. Number three, do you feel comfortable admitting your sins to God and others? A fear of man can be a, a big issue. We can, we, we can be silent to God. We can be silent to others. You see, a form of the silent treatment is not owning our sins and not communicating them clearly to all of those who have been offended, always God and sometimes others. If we know to do good, we don't want to give God or others the silent treatment. So this question, do you feel comfortable admitting your sins to God and others, is a confessional question. Are we willing to confess our sins or be silent? You're Remember what David said, when I kept silent about my sin, God's heavy hand was upon him. Number four, which is the more significant problem? Your sin against God or what someone has done to you. This is a log in your eye examination before we go spec fishing looking at the other person. Having this perspective, the log in my eye, uh, that will help us to have a more merciful perspective toward others. The gospel has a ground-leveling effect on our souls. And though I would never justify any sin against you, never justify that, I also know that what anyone has ever done to me, for example, is not worse than what I have done to Christ. And so which is more significant problem? My sin against God or what someone has done to me? This these are trinitarian questions and now community questions. You can do many things by yourself. But sanctification is not one of them. There are too many one another passages in the New Testament for any of us to take the posture of isolating from community, silence from community. And to live in community is part of what it means to image the divine community, going back to my Trinitarian questions of Father, Son, and Spirit. We want to image him. He, They live in community, and we want to image that by living in community. And so as you think about these transformative truths, will you reflect on these five questions? Number one, are you aware of how sinful silence affects your family. I'm saying sinful silence now because all silence is not sinful. Number two, are there any other people in your life you treat this way, sinful silence? Number three, how does it make you feel when you are ignored and alienated? Sometimes it's good to turn the tables. Number four, do you have anyone holding you accountable for this sin, assuming that it is true for you. And then number five, will you change now? Will you stop doing this? Now, perhaps you need to, uh, if you need some help, again, that's what we do, and we would love to help you if we can. I trust that these questions that I've asked you will aid you in exploring your motives for choosing sinful silence in, problematic, in a problematic relationship. And while the silent treatment may never come close to physical murder, 
It would be humble for all of us and helpful to others if we saw our anger the way that James did. The temptation is to compare our sins with the sins of others. Aren't we, aren't we just like that? And that attitude is not a redemptive way to think about ourselves. Perhaps if we saw our sin as, as the same as any other sin, I mean, any sin will put Christ on the tree, maybe that would motivate us to change. Paul talked about this idea of comparing ourselves with others in 2 Corinthians 10, 12. He said this, not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when we measure themselves by one another and compare themselves when, with one another, when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. We don't want to fall in, into that trap. And so maybe you're in a situation where speaking would cause more trouble than silence. I understand. If so, your relationship needs outside intervention. If you cannot talk, you need someone to speak for you, to advocate for you. A pastor or other spiritual authority might be the best option. Don't choose silence, even if you have to find someone to speak to you. Whether it's your choice or someone else is forcing you to self-censor, If you are sinfully choosing to be silent or someone is making you be silent, don't choose silence. The title of this article, the podcast, and the video is Silent Treatment is the Sanitized Version of Murder. I want to wrap it up with a call to action in addition to the questions that I've been asking you. And again, you can use this article as a long-term homework assignment, especially if you struggle with the silent treatment or if it's something within a relationship, assuming that both people have the kind of humility to engage at this level with each other. Here are a few more questions. Number one, define the silent treatment. That would be a good thing to write out on a piece of paper, just define the the silent treatment. Number two, when was a time when you chose the silent treatment because it was the wisest approach at that moment in that relationship? What was the outcome, and was it wise to keep quiet? I mean, it would be good to think about those moments, and again, go back to what James says, being slow to speak. Sometimes it's best not to answer a fool. Number three, When was a time when you chose the silent treatment for sinful motives? Now, this is the other side of that question. Why did you do it? Have you reconciled that relationship or has the fracture continued? Is there something you should do to patch things up? What is your plan? And when will you implement that plan? There are a lot of these relationships going on in our local churches, and if that's true of you with someone in your local church, then I would encourage you to first talk to God. Don't be silent to Him. Bring this before the Lord and then begin to script out a plan hoping that you can reconcile the fracture that is in the relationship. Number four, do you have a gaslighting, manipulative relationship where you're not free to speak? 
Gaslighting is a common term that you have probably heard, and a good way of thinking about gaslighting is is someone that's dri- making you crazy, driving you crazy. They're they're telling you things about you that aren't true. You know, it's like. You know, I don't like mayonnaise, and somebody keeps telling me, you like mayonnaise. I know you like mayonnaise. They're gaslighting me. They're telling me something that's not true. That's kind of a a tongue-in-cheek, though it's true, I don't like mayonnaise, uh, illustration. But gaslighting, as you can imagine, is far worse. And so do you have a gaslighting, manipulating relationship where you're not free to speak? They're just overpowering you. Who will you reach out to for help? And then number five, when there is relational conflict, do you typically engage redemptively or punitively? In what way will you change to become a restorative communicator? If, if, if your pattern is to communicate in a punitive way, whether it's over-the-top murderous anger, loud, volatile anger, or the more subtle form of murder, as I've been talking about here, silent treatment. If your tendency or your pattern is to be punitive, uh, will you find the help that you need to change? And then finally, number six, will you share your answers to all of the questions that I've shared, that I've asked you in this uh, article, this podcast, this video? Would you share those questions with a friend? As I said earlier, this would be a wonderful uh, discussion to have in a small group. It would be even better if you can really zero in on a unique relationship that you have, perhaps parent and child or husband and wife, sibling to sibling, friend to friend. This would be an excellent examination to work through this very common sin because all of us have done it. And I trust that for all of us, it's just these isolated episodes and this is not a pattern in our lives. Nevertheless, the title of the article is Silent Treatment is the Sanitized Version of Murder according to James chapter 4, verses 1, 2, and 3. If you would like to talk to our team about anything that you have heard here, please uh, jump on our forums. It would be our joy uh, to serve you. Now, maybe you have something else that's on your mind. Please do not hesitate. Let Let our team come alongside you, and we would love to advise you the best that we can. Also, share these resources with your friends. Thank you so much for listening. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.